Hi there, everyone. I trust that you're doing well and that you've thoroughly enjoyed this series on what successful people do differently. It's really personal mastery, God's way. And I trust that you're finishing this year really strong. Well, this is our last service of the year. And I trust that you'll be strong throughout this holiday period and you'll get ready to join us again on the 15th of January. And we'll be meeting as combined services, Joburg and also Centurion. God has been so good to us this year. And I really want to finish strong by sharing with you a powerful message on leaving a legacy and so we're dealing with personal mastery God's way and we're dealing with the sixth one what successful people do differently successful people leave a legacy let's pray Father, we present ourselves to you and we ask that you would come, that you would strengthen us, that you would take us places in you, that you would impart revelation. Lord, we want to become more like you. Lord, we thank you that we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of your son, as your word says. So may you come now, Lord, and ignite and activate something so powerful and so special in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, legacy focuses on what will endure. That's what Bill High says. What will endure. It's about passing on things of lasting value to those who will live on after us. Legacy involves living intentionally and aiming to build into the next generations for their success. So in essence, it's about being unselfish. And sadly, so many people live just for themselves. <clears throat> you know, research was carried out on what people look for in leaders and what came out as number two was actually having a long-range view of things. Number one was integrity, okay? People's mindset was, you know what? We don't want to hear your vision, right, if we don't really trust you. Are you for real or are you a bootleg? Are you a fake? But the second thing that came up as most important for people before they follow a leader <laughs> They basically wanted to know, do you have a long-range view of things? And you know what? This is the thing most leaders really struggle with, having a long-range view of things. Because most leaders are busy putting out fires. So we're finding a lot of people operating one tier down from where they're supposed to operate. Okay, The people who are supposed to be the custodians of vision unfocused on vision because they're putting out fires. They're doing operational things. They're dealing with people issues. Then the people who are supposed to be focusing on the people issues, they're doing operational things and doing technical work on the ground. And the technical people on the ground are confused. They're like, why did you hire me if you're doing the work anyway? One of the things I found quite interesting some years ago, my sister-in-law, who was a professional golfer, she actually won a tournament in China. And I remember she came back and she was talking about China. And she said, Paul, it's very interesting when you see these highways that are there between cities, but there are hardly any vehicles on the particular highway. And you sort of wonder what's happening. They've already built the highway. And um, we just started talking about this, how they would say, you know what, in 50 years time, we actually want to build this particular city. We want it all built up, but we need this type of artisan who's going to be able to build it. And therefore, we're starting this academy in order to 
actually attracts children to this type of profession. That's the type of thinking that was there. And so we know that in China, they think in centuries. But research is carried, has been carried out on the African continent, and it's a bit like we're sitting on the Hao train. Those of you who live in Gauteng province, you know what I'm talking about, right? You're sitting on the Hao train, and you're traveling from Pretoria to Johannesburg. You're facing Pretoria, but you're going towards Santon, right? Um, and on the African continent, we're a bit like that. Where on average, the average person focuses on the present and the past. If you look at our political narratives, present and past. So as we interact with people, there are not that many people we interact with that are really future-minded, that are really thinking in terms of generations to come. And I believe that's one of the problems we're facing today because people are just thinking of, you know, votes. We just need votes, short-term thinking. They're not necessarily thinking, what are we leaving for the next generation? <clears throat> and I believe that to have a biblical worldview around leaving a legacy, one of the aptitudes we need to have is multi-generational thinking, right? Multi-generational thinking. Let me ask you another question. What would happen if your wise grandparents had written books? You see, Africa needs to shift from just having an oral tradition. Have you noticed that <clears throat> for a long time, we will misquote our grandparents and we'll say, oh, this is what they said. Oh, this is what they said. In fact, some of the things that they said, right, will be twisted and misused in order to get children to do what you want them to do. But what would have happened if they had written books? One of the key ways of leaving a legacy is writing books, especially books to do with your values, your traditions, your, um, uh, your principles that you want to pass on to the next generation. If you look at the Jewish people, right, and how God used them just to preserve his laws, to preserve um, his, his values, but they had a culture of putting things in writing. What would happen? How much of the wisdom of our forefathers would we actually be using today if we just had things in writing? <clears throat> I mean, I think of my own grandmother. She actually appeared in a book called Women of Rhodesia. She, was, uh, she made up one of the chapters there. I was born in her clinic, the clinic she would run, right? A woman of great wisdom, but what would have taken place if I could just read and read and read some of her wisdom. My grandfather, the same thing. <clears throat> so something we need to really reflect on is, um, and I'm going to cover this in this particular message, but we're going to actually explore what leaving a legacy actually entails and how best to choose what legacy one will leave. You see, some people have a goal of leaving the wrong legacy, right? Or a legacy that doesn't suit them because of how they're wired. Why is it that some people just know that your success sometimes only manifests after you die, whilst others seem to measure themselves on their current results? These are key questions we need to be asking ourselves. <clears throat> we need to be asking ourselves these questions. I'm also going to share with you some key scriptures with regards to leaving a legacy. Now you look at someone like the artist uh, Vincent van Gogh, for example, right? He only became famous after his death. And this particular artist died in 1890, having only sold one painting. And it sold for the equivalent of about $109, right? <clears throat> Popular recognition of his work only came after 1910. That was, that was 20 years after this man had died. 
Imagine that, right? And after his death, they actually discovered about, about 2,000 pieces of his artwork, right? Which is now valued in millions today. You know, similar stories are people like Bach, the composer. He used to just, he used to play the organ really well. And that's what he was known for, right? But he only became famous after a revival of interest in his music in the 1800s. If you think of people like the philosopher Henry uh, David Thoreau, for example, right? He, he actually influenced people like Mahatma Gandhi, but he only became famous after he died. It's the same with um, Emily Dickinson. Now imagine we all had this mindset of knowing that, you know what? My success doesn't have to be measured by my achievements or my, or the, my impact right now my impact in two years' time, or even my impact in 10 years' time? What if I start measuring my success based on the potential impact I can have 300 years from now? I was sharing with my wife as we were talking about writing books and so on, and I said to her, one of the things that motivates me is knowing that whether this particular book sells tomorrow or not, right, isn't the issue for me. My belief is that one day at some point, I'd love my kids, for example, to be able to say, sure, we know dad was into prayer. I want to actually just read all his books on prayer and just master it. Okay. For me, that gives me fulfillment. And I remember my wife saying like, you know what? If it's just for that, then I will write. If it's just for that, then I will write. We have to have a mindset that knows that we can impact generations to come. We can't just be thinking short term. And this is actually a muscle we need to exercise because many of us are just trying to survive, if we're honest with ourselves. We just want to make sure we've got everything covered. Um, am I going to cover my bills for this month end, for example? That's where many people are at. But I believe that if we want to be like God himself, God was multi-generational. Throughout scripture, he described himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he created us in his image. So I believe that we've got that capacity as human beings to aspire, to dream, and to think long-term. Animals can't do that. Animals don't think in terms of future generations. But God has made us in his image, and we ought to be doing so. <clears throat> so what is leaving a legacy? First thing I want to say is it's giving something that will be valued and treasured by those who survive after your death. So it requires um, us to really ensure that what we think is actually also meaningful for those people who survive after our death, right? It can't just be, oh, I've, I've left all these wonderful treasures, you know, wonderful values. We have to make sure that the next generation sees them as that. The second thing about <clears throat> leaving a legacy, it's to do with putting a stamp on the future, not just on the present. And the third thing is it's to do with contributing to future generations. So perhaps we have to consider measuring success differently. For example, if I think of my friend, Pastor Solomon, you know, I had this conversation with him and I was encouraging him and I was saying, don't measure your success by how well your company is doing or not doing right now. I just said, look, I'm inspired by the relationship you have with your firstborn son. He's studying abroad and look at the connection you guys have. I asked him, how is Rule doing spiritually? And he told me and he was raving about how Rule is doing and the conversations they have. And I said, 
I said to him, Pastor Saul, you are actually passing on something to the next generation. I said, when I've had conversations with Rule, he keeps quoting you, right? And says, my dad said this, my dad said that. I asked my dad this, and this is what he said. I said, that's so much more valuable than just uh, what one's bank balance is at the present time, because that's leaving a legacy. It's what you're investing into future generations. <clears throat> I believe that usually when we reach a certain age, we begin to think differently. Often there's a shift in values. For example, relationships begin to really matter. You know, you no longer think short term. You start saying to yourself, I want to leave a mark. I want to be significant. I want to do something that matters. You want to impact lives. Some years ago, McKinsey did a study and they ended up calling it centered leadership. And it was a study of women who were successful but remained healthy. And they also extended that study to men and they got similar results. And what was so interesting <clears throat> was that <clears throat> a lot of these particular uh, women out of choice made sure that they did work that was actually meaningful to them. And a lot of people today will tell you that, you know what, the reason I'm leaving a legacy is it makes this wealth creation meaningful, right? I'm living for something bigger than myself. I'm living for a cause that is beyond me. And I believe that that is true success. Success can't just be, hey, I'm stuffing a whole lot of money into my bank account. It has to be more than that. It has to be more than that. So what does the Bible say about leaving a legacy? The first thing I want to share with you is that how you live your life will affect future generations. And we see this in scripture. In the book of Psalms 112 verses 1 to 2, it says, Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. What's the result of that? Verse 2, their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. You see, people don't just do what they hear you say. They do what they see you do. And that's why it says that if you fear the Lord, if you find great delight in his commands, it will have an impact on your children. Your children will be mighty in the land because of what they've observed in your life. I'm amazed how uh, in my workshops, for example, people keep using examples of how they were raised. They'll say, this is a value of mine. This thing triggers me because the way I was raised, this was emphasized. <clears throat> the second thing we see in scripture is that God is multi-generational and covenantal. When I say covenant, I'm just talking about an agreement with God. Right? He's covenantal. He keeps his promises, but he's also multi-generational. In Genesis 26 verse 24, he says, That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of of my servant Abraham. I believe that it's the same for us today. If we make strong covenants with God, if we pray strong prayers, those prayers and those covenants have an impact on the next generation. They're things that he will do for my children and their children for my sake, 
right? I don't believe it was just limited to Abraham. There was a specific covenant that God had, the Abrahamic covenant with Abraham. But I believe that their covenants he's making with us today as we are praying people, as we ally with God, as we partner with him, I believe that his promises come to pass, but not just for us, also for our children and our children's children. I believe it's a powerful way of leaving a legacy, how we relate to God. The third thing we see in scripture is that Christian goodness involves thinking about the next generations. This is so crucial. If you're a good man, one of the things you do is you think about the next generation. Proverbs 13 verse 22 says, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. Not just their children, but their children's children. But a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. This is so interesting. You see, we don't just pass on money to our children. We also pass on wisdom and godliness. When the Bible speaks of inheritance, I believe that in inherently, excuse the pun, in that is beyond money. It's beyond money. It's talking about wisdom so that we pass on the ability to create wealth. I remember speaking to a particular wealth coach and she mentioned to me that she's concerned because she said in South Africa, a lot of money is not being passed down to the third generation. So you have people who grew up poor, that poor parents, they grew up poor. At some point, they came into money, right? They made money. And then their mindset with their children has been, I want them to have all the things I didn't have. So they end up spoiling their kids, but don't teach them how to create money, how to manage money, how to grow money, how to, um, how to take the whole thing to another level. And what we find is that those children then squander the money. So it's not being passed down to the third generation, the wealth, right? Uh, <clears throat> we need to teach the next generation how to maintain whatever we pass on to them. It's so important. I love what Dennis and uh, Barbara Rainey say. They said, leave your children with a heritage, not just an inheritance. Now, what is the heritage? Heritage is a person's unique inherited sense of family identity, the values, the traditions, the culture, the artifacts. That's so important, handed down by previous generations. All right. The fourth thing we see in scripture is that there are things we can only leave behind. There are a lot of things we cannot take with us to heaven. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7, it says, For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. So there are things we ought to be leaving behind. What are you going to intentionally leave behind? When you don't have that leaving behind mentality, your mindset is, I'm going to hold this, hold this, hold this, and you don't have a plan for the next generation. And this is so important to understand. And <clears throat> unfortunately, a lot of people don't have the mindset of, hey, you know what? In 200 years time, this is the impact I will have because of choices that I made today. That 200 years comes very quickly, right? Sadly, a lot of Christians um, have, a, have an eschatology that causes them to have an escapist mentality. When you've got an escapist mentality, right? In other words, we just want to get out of here. You know, the Antichrist is coming and uh, we're going to leave the world and um, the devil will do whatever he does to people who don't believe, right? As opposed to a mindset that says we're going to occupy until he comes, right? We're going to 
transform society. We're going to take dominion, right? That mindset causes you to think generationally. The other mindset causes you to just think in a very escapist way and you don't think in terms of reforming society. The fifth thing I want to share with you is that leaving a legacy will result in accelerating the effectiveness of the next generation. And we see this in scripture. In Proverbs 22 verse 7, Bible says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Now, this is so important, you see, because many of us are in bondage to repayments because we're in debt and these repayments end up controlling our decision making. Isn't it awesome when your heart is, you know what, I want to give my children a leg up. I want to leave a legacy that will accelerate their effectiveness, right? Where they don't have to be paying bonds off, you know, and paying back the bank for houses and so on. But when they're still young and maybe not earning that much, certain things are already sorted for them so that they can actually focus on God's purposes for their lives. Let's be honest. Many of us want to do certain things with our lives. But what's the big excuse we have? Oh, guys, I've got all these things I need to cover. So I need to be earning from here. I know this is not the ideal job or the ideal business. I know it's not God's best for me, but guys, I need to pay the bills, right? There are a lot of people today that are pursuing their passion because something was left for them. There's some form of uh, legacy that was left by their forefathers that makes it easier for them today. This is important to understand this, okay? <clears throat> it's so crucial. Um, and don't be selfish and don't desire that your children suffer like you did. You know, sometimes people have got that mindset. It's like, you know, when bullies bully at school and then the people who are bullied, they do the same thing because their mindset is it's payback time now. And sometimes as parents, it's easy to get into that mindset of children today are very spoiled and you want them to suffer like you did. Instead of actually saying, you know what, how can I raise up great men? How can I raise up great women? right? And begin to teach them certain principles from a very young age, right? Instead of having that teenager mentality that, oh, you know, and they become spoiled brats, right? You teach them great principles from a young age. You're passing on a legacy. You're leaving a legacy. Someone once said, our children are messengers we send to a time we will not see. Our children are messengers who we send out to a time we will not see. There are messages we are passing on to the next generation. I'm talking spiritual children. I'm talking about the people you're discipling. I'm talking your biological children. You're imparting to them and they will impart to others. You're making disciples who will make disciples. The sixth thing I want to mention is that Jesus himself had a long-range view into future generations. Isn't that powerful? He had a long-range view into future generations. If you look at his prayer in John 17, 20 to 21, it says, he says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. So he wasn't just focusing on his immediate disciples. He was focusing on people he hadn't even seen in the natural yet. He was focusing on the next generation of disciples. And he prayed strong prayers. In fact, his prayer continues for them. How many of us are wired this way? Now, in psychology, there's an interesting concept called time perspective bias. 
we each have biases when it comes to how we view time. So for example, some of you focus on the past negative. That's your bias. And it's actually been found that there's a correlation, a positive correlation between focusing on past negative and then experiencing anger, anxiety, you know, depression, right? Because you're focusing so much on past negative. Now there's a place for it because you need to remember that, oh, remember that guy conned us in the past. So I don't think we should trust him, okay? Some people focus on past positive. That's their bias. They focus on the past, but the positive past. You know, those people who are when we's, you know, when we were in Rhodesia, when we, when we, when we's, right? The good old days. And sometimes it causes you to be grateful as a person. Sometimes it does cause you to live in a time warp, right? Then you have people who focus on present fatalism. And you'll see where I'm going with this, right? Kesara, sara, whatever will be, will be, right? And then you have people who focus on what's called present hedonistic. In other words, just enjoy the moment. Don't worry about the consequences. And obviously that leads to licentiousness and all sorts of dodgy behavior. But at the same time, when they're treating people who are struggling with depression, sometimes they'll say to them, enjoy the moment. Don't worry about the future. Don't worry about the past. Then you have other people who focus on future danger. That's why we have insurance, right? We're focusing on future danger. What might go wrong? Then you have others who focus on future positive. Problem with those people is, although they're very positive about the future, very goal-orientated, sometimes they don't celebrate past wins, right? They just move on to the next thing. Now, these are biases we all have. But what I find so interesting is that each of these can drive you to leave a legacy. So the people who leave a legacy, it's not to do with your personality. And that's the point I'm making. Sometimes we think these type of people leave a legacy, these don't. You see, you can focus on past negative, for example, negative wounding, negative rejection, and you can think to yourself, my parents didn't leave a legacy for me. Therefore, because of that bad experience I had, I want to make sure my kids have a leg up and I leave a legacy for them, right? So that past negative can drive someone to actually leave a legacy. There are other people who focus on future danger, and that causes them to leave a legacy. They say, oh, the world is going to be tough in the next 50 years. So what can I do to make it a little easier for next generations? Then there are others who will focus on future positive and their mindset is, wow, there's so many opportunities in the future. If I can just give my kids a leg up, they can embrace great opportunities and accomplish greatness. So can you see that based on different time biases, they can actually be a driver for leaving a legacy. So what I've learned is that those who leave a legacy, it's not so much about personality types. It's actually more about values. It's actually more about values where you're valuing the future. You're valuing the future and you're not just thinking of yourself. Okay. So a key question to ask is which personality type tends to leave a legacy? And I'm not too sure it's about personality. Rather, I believe it's more about having it as a value. And this is a value that can be taught. It's a value that can actually become a culture, right? In an organization, it becomes a culture. Let's think of growing people. You know, one of the marks of a servant leader is the people under them grow as people. And that's why a key question for me to ask you is, is your goal as a leader, just to do with getting results through people, or is it to do with growing people, right? 
um, what or who do those people become after being with you? These are key questions. And those who leave a legacy, they're thinking about that next generation and they're thinking about growing those people. And that's why Jesus, who left a massive legacy, would say to his disciples, hey guys, the works that I've done, you know, if you believe, you will do greater works than these. He's thinking of the future and he's thinking of what they will accomplish. When you look at some of the stats around the world, just in terms of leaving a legacy, how many African businesses do you know that have been passed down from generation to generation? I don't know of many, you know? I can think of maybe one or two good examples, but how many are there actually? Are we passing on wealth to the next generation or even the third generation, you know? The affluent seem to be spoiling their children and we keep hearing this story about this famous businessman's child, this story about this famous politician's child. <clears throat> what is encouraging is PwC uh, did a bit of a survey on family businesses in 2021 and they found this. Family business owners want above all to create an enduring asset for future generations. Right? And it says, legacy is top of mind for 81% of African respondents. But my thing is, it's one thing to think about it, to dream about it, another thing to put it into action. Similarly, only 19% of families have a family constitution or a family charter, which links strongly to not having a succession plan in place. Right? And that's a real issue. It's a real issue. I mean, I don't know how many of you have got a succession plan in place. And if you look at some of the stats, organizations in India, for example, right, and the highly capitalized ones seem to be doing well when it comes to succession planning. The ones that aren't as capitalized aren't doing that well when it comes to succession planning. And sometimes some people believe that it's because of um, the boards that are running these highly capitalized companies and the experience of the board members and they think in terms of succession planning. Right. Um, in South Africa, it's actually been found that 68% of family businesses are prioritizing sustainability. That's to do with long-term thinking, isn't it? Compared to 63% in Uganda, 47% in Nigeria, 46% in Kenya. Many family businesses are also contributing strongly to their local communities. South Africa at 72%, Uganda 56%, and Nigeria 50%, with Kenya uh, lagging somewhat at 41%. But these are things that show People are thinking about the community. People are thinking a bit long-term, right? But some of it is espoused, isn't it? Now, if we aren't putting things in writing, right, and we have only, uh, you know, and only half our people have codified um, governance policies, the question is, are we going to leave a legacy or are we just winging it? So what's the aptitude of someone who leaves a legacy? Could it just be a self-esteem issue, for example? You know, a self-esteem issue where some people have positive blind spots. That's where you think you're average, but other people see you as awesome, amazing, right? So some people have these positive blind spots where they don't believe that they have anything to pass on to the next generation. In fact, some people see that as conceit to think that you've got something amazing to pass on to people. I mean, how many of you find it easy just saying, this is what I want to do and I want to do it for my great-grandchildren? Some people are like, oh, who do you think you are, right? You obviously have a big ego to think that you can do that, right? 
Another thing we need to actually explore is what is the prevalence of various types of legacies? For example, how many people um, focus just on charity, on welfare? How many people have a philosophy of, you know what, we need to teach people how to fish, so let's rather focus on education. I know Nelson Mandela was very strong on education, right? Do we have to physically give money or should we be endowing scholarships, for example, right? Is leaving a legacy something only done by the wealthy? That's something to think about. A few days ago, I gave some uh, books and materials and so on, quite a whole lot, um, to a gentleman who's starting a mission base. And he hasn't got much money at the moment, but he was so excited and he said to me, Paul, I love books. And he went on to say, the thing I want to leave for my kids and my grandchildren is a library. That's the legacy I want to leave. So many times when we think of leaving a legacy, we think of lots of money and we think we have to be extremely wealthy and that those are the people who leave legacies. Not so, not so. Some people start small foundations for the next generation, but then that next generation takes these entities to another level. Could it be that you are the one called to start the process? You see, you don't have to do everything for generations to come, but maybe you're the one with the idea who just has to start the process. Which countries and which cultures are doing this well? I can't give you all the answers, but I can just hopefully get you to be thinking about some of my questions. How much of it is cultural, for example? You know, if you look at some of the US stats, it's interesting because um, 30% of family businesses survive the transition from first to second generation ownership. 30%, right? I thought maybe it would be more. 12%, only 12% survive the transition from second to third generation. And only 13% of family businesses remain in the family over 60 years. And 47% of family business owners expecting to retire in the next five years do not have a successor. Isn't that interesting? You see, if we want a culture of leaving a legacy, then we need to know how to create culture in the first place. You see, as leaders, we are social architects. Culture is created by what we teach. Culture is created by what's modeled. Culture is created by what we measure. Are we measuring growth in terms of growing people and giving them platforms to grow, right? Culture is created by what we inspect. Culture is created by what we celebrate, by what we reward, by what we promote, by what we punish, by the symbols and artifacts that we have. Culture is created by how leaders respond to crises. Are we just hoarding all the leadership responsibilities? And are we being called out for doing so? Are we those who are raising up the next generation? I believe that in our organizations, we need to be asking these questions regularly. Who is your successor? What's your succession plan? Who are you mentoring? What do we need to do in order to create a culture that is multi-generational in its thinking? Key question, right? In which industries is it more prevalent? Are we seeing people leaving a legacy when it comes to the retail industry, but maybe we're not seeing it in other professions. How good are we at succession planning? Powerful question.
According to a study conducted by PwC South Africa in 2016, the key potential failure of family businesses was succession planning, with only 17% of family entities having a succession plan in place compared with 13% in 2014 and 2015 survey. Internal family conflicts have been noted to be a hindrance and uh, it's also been noted that these tend to undermine future growth and future profitability and ultimately the existence of that family business. The lack of a succession plan has been seen to adversely uh, affect most African businesses, especially those that are family businesses. Okay? It's not easy to do these things, even succession planning, because it's acknowledging our mortality, that we're not going to be around forever. And I believe that people who leave a legacy often are people who are comfortable with that, who've come to a place of accepting that I'm not going to be here forever. And they faced that reality. So how do we create a culture that values leaving a legacy? It's so important. Do you have an execution mindset around success alone? not the legacy mindset around significance. Just think about that, all right? I like what Sharon Adler said, the goal is to carve your name on hearts, not on tombstones. A legacy is etched into the minds of others and the stories they share about you. So important. Pericles said, what you leave behind is not what is engraved in stone monuments, but what is woven into the lives of others. So what's the mindset of someone who leaves a legacy? The first thing is they have a long-range view of life. They have a multi-generational vision. The second key thing is that they keep redefining themselves so that they finish strong. You know, in South Africa, some legacy companies were negatively affected by COVID. If you think of what happened with Edcon, what happened to Musica, Greyhound, the bus company, the transport company, Comair, right? What would have happened if some of these organizations had redefined themselves? You know, organizations like uh, Patco, for example, the bus company, has to ask itself, are we a bus company or are we in the transport industry? Right? Uh, some of these oil companies have had to ask themselves, are we an oil company or are we in the energy business? Because when your mindset is we're in the energy business, you start doing things beyond, beyond oil. Okay? Practically, how do you leave a legacy? The first thing I want to say is do what you were born to do. And throughout this series, we've been talking about discovering your purpose, right? The area you leave a legacy in often is the thing that you were born to do, not just some side thing that you're trying to do, okay? People don't necessarily admire that, right? You don't leave a legacy by being average, right? Mediocrity doesn't inspire anyone. I like what Mayor Angelo said, if you're giving to live, leave a legacy, Make a mark on the world that can't be erased. That's powerful. And you know what? It's your responsibility to figure out what your it is and to pour yourself into it. Why was I born? Most people are, are only known for what they're average at, not what they were born to do, right? I believe that one of the keys to leaving a legacy is learning how to function in your high leverage activities. And I've asked you these questions before. Some of, these, some of these questions that you need to answer are things like, for what do I receive the most compliments? 
For what am I the go-to person? What comes to me easily where others seem to struggle? What do I do that has high impact yet requires relatively little effort on my part? What do I get so absorbed doing that I lose track of time? If someone was to phone me at 2 a.m. and ask me to do a particular thing, what would I be willing to do without complaining or grumbling? What are those things in my life where people will come to me and they say, thank you for all that hard work. Thank you for the great sacrifice. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, I know that I was just winging it. What's that for me? Right? So leaving a legacy involves excelling at what you've been called to do and also imparting that, that particular greatness to others. You know, on this continent, we are very high on collectivism, aren't we? And so the result of that is we tend to choose careers based on our fear of banishment from the in-group instead of based on individual conscience. This is so important to understand. You know, a child is a brilliant artist, for example. I know a particular person where the mother, I know of a person where the mother literally tore up her paintings, tore up her drawings, because uh, the mother felt this is a distraction to the real academic work. Okay, that's sad. Child says, mom, dad, I want to go to university to study art. Uh, have we seen that in our family? No, we haven't seen that happening before. No, sorry, we can't pay for you to go to college to just draw pictures. Okay, and this is so sad because we end up having a generation of people who aren't actually uh, playing to their strengths. And I believe it's because we define ourselves too much by our profession and too little by our purpose. We're so proud of our professions. When people greet us, that's the first thing we start talking about, right? We need to actually define ourselves more by our purpose than by our profession. I think it's so important. So do what you are born to do if you want to leave a legacy. The second thing is decide what legacy you want to leave behind. What legacy do you want to leave behind? The third thing is start living how you want to be remembered. And remember that people will do what they see you do, not what they hear you say. How do you want to be remembered when your grandchildren one day are thinking of you? When generations that you've discipled are thinking of you, what will they say? The fourth thing is assess your use of time, assess your talents, assess your use of money and ask yourself, how is the next generation benefiting from these? Not just how am I, how is the next generation benefiting from these? How am I contributing to generations through my time, my talents and my treasure? The fifth thing is picture your 80th birthday or your eulogy at your funeral. Who's going to give the eulogy? What, what are they saying about you? What positive attributes will they state? Think of that. Dream about it and then work backwards and be that person. Okay? There's some key questions to ask yourself when you're deciding what legacy you're going to leave. The first question is, what do you want your life to stand for? What do I want my life to stand for? The second is, for what will those beyond my family remember me for? It's a key question. What will they remember me for? The third one is, what would you like your impact to the community to be? Just as a citizen, right? What difference would you actually make? How will people feel when you leave? Will they feel like, I wouldn't even notice anything, right? Or will they really miss your presence? The fourth thing is, how will the world be a better place because of you? 
How will the world be a better place because of you? The fifth one is, what lessons do you want to pass on to the next generation? And then finally, some practical things that you can do to leave a legacy. The first thing, and I'm quite big on this, is be quotable. Be quotable. A lot of us say a lot of things and we've got a lot of fluff around what we say and it's not memorable. One of the things I'm passionate about is stating certain things in a quotable manner. I mean, if you have seen uh, the quotes we put out from these sermons that are on social media, I'm going to be doing a book uh, quite soon where we're putting all those quotes uh, together in one book, uh, quote, quotes of my sermons. I would like my grandchildren one day, people I've discipled, to be able to look and see that, oh, this was the, es- these were the, this was the essence of all his sermons over a number of years. All right? So be quotable. The second thing is add knowledge to your field. Have the type of mindset that says, you know what? I want to disrupt my industry a bit. Disruption in the positive sense. I want to shake things up. Maybe I'm called to influence my industry. The third thing is write a book. Write a book. There's something about writing a book where you're preserving knowledge for the next generation. And the way you write a book, by the way, is not necessarily to just sit down and say, I'm taking these two months off to just write this book. And then you start from beginning to end. Sometimes it's just committing yourself and just saying, you know what, I'll do a chapter a week. When I did my first marriage book, the way it came about was basically we had a marriage retreat and I know that, you know what, to make sure I'm disciplined to do this, I know that I like to keep my word and I like to be reliable. So I said to the people at that retreat, guys, I want to do a marriage book, so I'm going to give you a chapter a week. And after a number of weeks, the book was done because I knew that I had to keep my promise to them and my promise to myself. The fourth thing is mentor people. Develop a passion just to mentor people. And mentorship works best when both parties are aware of it. When you are conscious of the fact that you are their mentor and when they know that you are mentoring them. The fifth thing is set aside money for specific causes. Causes that last. Causes that build into the next generation. The sixth thing you can do is endow a scholarship. Endow a scholarship. Right? That people are educated in certain areas, especially areas that are in line with your passion, with your values, with your principles. Seventh thing you can do is write a legacy letter capturing who you are. Right? The essence of who you are. It's a letter, it's a summary of your belief system, right? And your and your passion. The eighth thing you can do is identify your strengths and demonstrate how your success is replicable. You know, a lot of people like their success to be a mystery. You know, people say, how did you do it? How did you do it? Well, my brother, there are levels, right? Instead of having a mindset that actually says, you know what? You can do what I've just done. And here's the memo. Here's how you do it, right? It's replicable. If you look at people like John G. Lake, one of the amazing things about him was beyond what he actually did in terms of healing the sick at the turn of the last century, right? Beyond what he did as a church planter in terms of birthing the apostolic faith movement, right? Was the fact that he had healing technicians and he documented a methodology, almost like SOPs around how to go about it. And that's how he multiplied his effectiveness, right? And that's why a lot of people in the healing ministry have actually built on the principles that he taught and he recorded and documented. And I believe that's so powerful. Look at people like John Wesley, the way they would put things in writing and we've got access to his diaries, his journals, uh, his sermons, 
right? Isn't that amazing? Passing on a legacy that way. There are a lot of great people on the African continent, but if we're honest with ourselves, for a whole lot of them, we, don't, we, we, we just know they were great people, but we don't know what they wrote. I'm so glad that people uh, like um, the, the great apostle Ezekiel Guti has written so many books. I think that's so powerful, right? I think he's, he's almost 100 now. I don't know if he's turned 100 yet, but he's, he's somewhere there, right? And he's got all these books and he passes on um, this, this wonderful treasure to many of us. Okay, the ninth thing to do is develop material for future generations, right? Have a mindset where you're saying, I'm developing this material and it's for future generations. So beyond just writing a book, it could be other types of material that you're packaging for the next generation. The 10th thing is invest in their businesses. Invest in their businesses. I know that Shaquille O'Neal, the great basketballer, for example, he's a great business person also. And his mindset is basically, you know what, to his kids, he said to them, um, I'm not going to give you money, all right, um, until you've got two degrees. And when you've got your degrees, present your case to me. And then I'll invest in your businesses if I think they're worthy of that, right? That's his mindset. Invest in their businesses. Help them to succeed, right? And not just your children, but other people who you're mentoring. And then the 11th thing is be vulnerable by sharing your real story, your true story. Make yourself vulnerable by sharing your true story. You see, people are not looking for perfection. They're looking for identification. They don't want to see you just putting your best foot forward. They want to hear you saying, me too, me too, me too. Yes, I've been in that, you see, I've been in that situation, but this is what I did to overcome it. So share your real story. Talk to them about the mistakes you've made. Be vulnerable. If you study the science of likability, people connect with people who make themselves vulnerable and they like them more, not people who just project this ideal image of themselves. I trust that you found some powerful tips with regards to leaving a legacy. I trust that you've seen that God himself in his nature is multi-generational and he's called us to be that. I trust that you've got very practical things that you can start doing from today. Okay, apart from just the mindset, practical things you can start doing from today because you want to leave a legacy. Good people leave a legacy. They don't just think of the here and now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for how you are wired. We thank you that you're a multi-generational God and you've already seen the future. You're already in the future. We open our hearts, Lord, that you would change us from the inside out. That where, Lord, we've got short-term thinking, where, Lord, we've just focused on the here and now. May you give us a heart for the next generation. May you give us a heart, Lord, that says, I want to leave a legacy. And may we experience the reward of this, Lord, that fulfillment, that deep sense of meaning, so that we may be healthy people. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I want to encourage you during this holiday period, check out our website, www.gochurch.co.za. We'll be zhuzhing it up next year, uh, really making it world class. But for now, access some of our messages that we've done over the years. Maybe you only joined our church or started following us or listening to our material recently over the last couple of years. Maybe you've missed sermons because you were traveling and weren't disciplined to actually listen each week. I'll encourage you, 
keep growing during this particular period. Use it as an opportunity to visit other churches, right? Don't visit a cult, right? And then come back at the beginning of next year. Well, with us, it will actually be uh, the 15th of Jan. We'll be resuming our services. Then join us again, and I will be sharing the vision for 2023 and beyond. It's going to be so powerful. God is up to something. God bless you. We love you so much.